Welcome to the State of Recruiting, a weekly podcast featuring the insights of Longhorn recruiting analyst Mike Roach and hosted by Bobby Burton. Roach offers unparalleled insights into recruiting on the 40 acres. Each week, he crisscrosses the state, watching and talking to blue chip recruits. And I'm Bobby Burton, a 1992 Texas grad and one of the recruiting industry's founding fathers. I played a formative role in the creation of both 24-7 Sports and Rivals.com. The State of Recruiting is taped each and every Wednesday during football and recruiting season. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hook them. Mike, how you doing today, man? Uh, Bobby, I've been fighting a cold for it seems like a month, and uh, I think I'm getting over it, but it still feels sometimes like it's getting the better of me. Well, it, this cold snap that we just had uh, won't help matters. Uh, where are you going this coming weekend now that uh, I think playoffs get started? Yeah, big weekend of playoffs. Um, I've been on the road a lot lately, so I'm planning to be home this week and, and mainly be in the Metroplex. Um, Thursday night, there's not a huge slate of games going on, um, so I, I kind of just picked the best one to go to and maybe see some underclassmen at, and that's uh, yep. Lancaster and the Colony are playing on Thursday night. I think that's going to be a really good matchup. Lancaster's always kind of loaded with speed and talent, so um, good to go see them. Friday, I'm going to go see Texas uh, offer J.D. Coffee at Kennedale when they take on China Spring. And then Saturday, um, I'm going to go see some private school action. Uh, Nolan Catholic is playing Bishop Dunn. Uh, a couple prospects in that, namely uh, 2022 running back Emeka Megwa at Nolan Catholic and 2022 linebacker uh, Jordan Crook at Bishop Dunn are, are both guys on the Texas radar. Whatever happened to that running back at Lancaster? Uh, I was looking at Ohio State. Cavantre Bradford, yeah, he's the guy that I'll be watching on Thursday night. Um, from what I understand, he's still kind of looking around. And, you know, Texas has had some contact with him, so I want to, you know, go and see him just in case they, they re-engage late in the year or anything. But uh, right now it seems like he's looking at going out of state somewhere. Okay, gotcha. Um, and, Mike, where did you go this past weekend? Uh, last weekend I was in Houston. I saw – uh, Texas commits Troy O'Meara on Thursday and, and Vernon Broughton on Saturday. And then on Friday, uh, I saw the guy who I think will probably be one of the main uh, Texas targets in 2021, and that's L.J. Johnson, the running back at Cy Fair, who was uh, pretty phenomenal as well. Interesting. Let's start with O'Meara because I think he's playing quarterback more than any other position this year, right? Yeah, he's had to be forced into action because of an injury to their starting quarterback, and so it's a lot of just him running, which, I mean, he was very good at, um, you know, but it's, it makes for a tough evaluation for us seeing him in person that way. You know, you don't. I think he maybe played three or four plays where he lined up at receiver, and they couldn't get the ball to him in any of those instances. So, um, But when you look at him size-wise and athleticism-wise, you know, he showed plenty of burst running from the backfield, ran for over 200 yards and three touchdowns, um, shows some instinctive ability running. Uh, you know, what I really wanted to see was the route running and, you know, the hands and all that kind of thing. But um, it, it just wasn't to be at that point in time. The, the thing I am very encouraged. How, how, hey, I, I do want to ask you, how big was he really? Right. I that's mean, that's just what I was getting to. The thing I, I'm, yeah. I'm really encouraged about with Troy was when I saw him in the summer, he looked a little overweight and sluggish. Uh, really? Yeah. Like okay. he was probably about six foot four, maybe two twenty, two twenty five, And just, I think at this point in his development, that's too big, too early to be a receiver. Um, he's down to about two Oh six and it's, 
it's noticeable. Um, it looks like he's dragging less weight when he's running, and um, he, he does have the massive frame. I, I would say about six three and a half, six four, long arms, uh, long legs, short torso type of guy. Um, but but yeah, he's about two oh six now and looks way better carrying it. Uh, interesting. And you said uh, L.J. Johnson. Um out of Cyprus was uh, particularly interesting to you. Yeah, I really, I really like LJ Johnson out of Cyfair. You know, he came and tested at the opening this year, the regional camp in Houston. Ran a four four two, ran a four two one shuttle. Um, he's a little smaller than I think most people like. He's probably about five nine and a half, five ten, maybe one eighty five, one ninety. Um, but it really reminds me a lot of Eno Benjamin when he was coming out of high school. And um, I think with running backs, I tend to care a lot less about the obvious physical tools. And I care a lot more about, do you have ability as a runner? Do you have vision? Can you run with instinct? Can you feel where the holes are in the cutback lanes and all those type of things? And I think that LJ Johnson has those things in spades. Plus he has a four, four, you know, 40 times. So um, I think he's got just about everything. He was uh, pretty fantastic on, on a Friday night going up against uh, Cy Creek, including uh, LSU commit Josh white at linebacker. And, um, yeah, I think that uh, he's going to be a guy that when his his junior film finishes up, um, a lot of people are going to – I mean, a lot of teams have already jumped on board for him, but I think, you know, everybody else will jump in after that. You said he's 185 right now? I think I, – I would guess probably about 185 or 180. Gotcha. And what is uh, – how was Josh White uh, looking uh, on – Friday night. Yeah, he's a good-looking kid. Um, I wonder how he's going to fit in the SEC because, to me, he seems like a Big 12 linebacker. Um, he's he's a little bit smaller but really can make plays in space um, and, and can run to the football. You know, he's a guy that I, what I loved seeing from him was he was – you could tell he was the unquestioned leader on that football team. Everybody looked to him, um, and, and, you know, he kind of rallied everybody on and off the field. But um, r- really a, an athletic guy, I – I don't know how that's going to work in the SEC with his size, but I do know that LSU seems to always find a way to put guys into position if they're athletic to, you know, make plays. So um, I think if anybody could do it, it's probably LSU. Yeah. I, Greg McKegg is a, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, he's the head coach at Side Creek. And I talked to him this off season about Josh White and he just, uh, he, he loves the kid. Um, and Greg's not, like that with a lot of guys. Um, uh, the last time I heard him talk as glowingly about a player uh, was probably Chucky Keaton, the Utah State quarterback. I don't know if you yeah. remember him or not, but he was also from from Cy Creek. And I think that Greg thinks that that uh, uh, I think McKeg thinks that uh, they both just had a little something extra in them that's going to make them succeed at whatever they do and. And I think that that speaks a lot for Josh White and his future, wherever wherever it may be in the SEC, Big Twelve, or you know Mars. I think yeah, <laughs> he's going to probably be. Successful. No, I could see that. You could tell just by the way guys follow him on the field, the way he approaches every aspect of a game, as far as pregame and uh, preparation and all those things. You could tell those kind of guys have a little something special about them. I, you know, it was the same thing. I would see in Caden Stearns when I watched him in high school was there's there's guys who go about things like they're already playing professionally or playing in college and I think that those guys are more likely to succeed and I see a lot of that from Josh White. All right, before we step into the next segment here, just want to remind you all the state of recruiting is taped each and every Wednesday during football and recruiting season. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Horns 24-7 also produces two other uh, podcasts, the Longhorn Blitz with featuring Jeff Howe and the Flagship featuring Chip Brown. Please uh, subscribe to those as well if you enjoy Longhorn Athletics. Um, Mike, on Saturday afternoon, as I was uh, watching games and preparing to, to watch the Texas game, I kept seeing these score updates in Fayetteville, and I <laughs> – each one was worse it started i think it was 35 to 3 and then i you know arkansas scored a couple of late touchdowns uh against western kentucky um and the next morning you wake up and chad morris is fired the former texas high school coach that and smu coach that is now uh or is now formerly the arkansas razorback coach so i know kelvante dixon has been a topic of of yours and i's uh, in this podcast quite often. He's the brother of Keonta Ingram. He was initially committed to Arkansas, recruited by former Texas assistant and longtime Gilmer head coach Jeff Trailer. I'm assuming it's all all but done against Arkansas now with Kelvante. I know he's decommitted, but A, where does that put Texas with Kelvante? And B are there any other guys in that Arkansas class that might be of interest to Texas? Yeah, with Calvante, I think that it was done before Chad Morris was fired. Right. So right, I, right. I definitely think it's done now. I mean, the only link holding Calvante was Jeff Trailer, and as you know, Bobby, Jeff Trailer's got a, he- a heck of a reputation in East Texas. Guys love him, and, and he's a really good coach and recruiter for that reason. And um, you know, I, a guy that I that I think a lot of, but. You know, I don't know. Even if he's able to be retained on staff, I think that their decision making is going to be so far behind schedule that it's not going to matter to this class. I think these guys have got to make decisions for themselves now within the next month or two. Um, and I don't know that Arkansas is going to have a guy in place by that point in time. So, um, yeah, I think it's done. I think that Calvante will definitely be in the Texas class. I think if you're looking for uh, something public to happen, I would actually look for after state championships. Um, because I know Scott Surratt at Carthage is uh, pretty serious about having his guys zeroed in during the playoffs and probably not thinking a lot about recruiting and things like that. Um, you know, if you remember, Keontae didn't even sign early uh, because his team was playing in the state championship. That's right. So um, yeah. that's that's something I think that, that Surratt puts a lot of importance on. So I think it could likely happen after the season just to, um, you know, t- to eliminate that distraction from the team. Um, as far as other guys in the class, there are a couple guys that I, I do think are, are interesting. Um, mainly the, the main one is uh, a Marshall wide receiver, uh, Savian Williams. Um, Savian Williams to me is uh, one of the uh, – he's a three-star wide receiver uh, and played at, played at Marshall in East Texas, 6'4 and a half, 200 pounds, has some really uh, interesting – athletic tools um saw him last year in a playoff game against huntsville uh when i went to go see tavondre sweat and he was uh he was pretty great in that game uh probably the best player in that game the, the thing that i worry about with him and in in regards to texas maybe going after him is he's a little raw and he's a bit redundant with what they already have they already have basically two six four 200 guys um in troy O'Meara and 
uh, and uh, Quentin Johnston. So I, I don't, I see that being per, uh, perhaps an obstacle um, to what they need to do. Uh, the only other guy I could maybe see uh, Texas going after in this group, and it would be, this would have to be a situation where uh, they were being dire straits at the running back position. Say something happened with Bijan Robinson, they weren't able to get in on anyone else. I could maybe see them getting in on John Gentry, who's a three-star running back and actually is a tandem back with Zach Evans at North Shore. Um, I think that Gentry has a little more ability than what he's been rated as, but the fact is he shares a backfield with, with Zach Evans, and so he's never going to get to really show off what he has. And I think perhaps Texas could maybe go that way if they were in dire straits at the running back position. But other than that, um, I, I don't see a lot there in the class for, for what they might want. Not the tight end out of Crockett. No chance there. I, not really interesting. Yeah, you know, I really like that kid, uh, but I really like him as a defensive end. Um, okay. And and I don't know that, that he would I, – I don't know how he looks as a, as a tight end because I've never seen him compete there, but I've seen him at D-end uh, in camps and things, and he is a, a electric first step, a guy that I saw two years ago and really thought, I need to keep tabs on this kid. And, um, but no, I don't see it. And maybe – Maybe they circle back to to the kid Mason Mangum at at Westlake um, as maybe like a late slot take or something, but I I can't even see that. I think that really the guys primarily I would look at besides Calvante Dixon would be John Gentry and Savian Williams. Gotcha. Yeah, I watched film before I I before we did this podcast. I watched Williams on tape, and he is playing quarterback as a senior. Yeah, and he is elusive. As I mean, that's the difference between him and Johnston and O'Meara, is that he's the, if he's really truly six four and not six one and a half. You know what I mean? I can't speak to that because I haven't seen him in person. But if he's truly that tall, the difference between him and those guys is that that Williams can make you miss in a phone booth. I mean, he's he's got some ability in that regard. Doesn't mean he's as fast or um, as talented a ball catcher, uh, but uh, certainly a, a guy that I could see why Arkansas uh, liked him. Uh, really good nugget, Mike, by the way, on on uh, Calvante Dixon and his timeline, uh, because you're right. I mean, I, I always thought that was going to be a tough situation for Texas um, to deal with uh, once he committed to Arkansas because of trailer. Um but then, to your point, it's been happening for a month, et cetera. We knew the writing had been on the wall, even despite – I mean, Jeff Trailer and Scott Surratt are among best friends, too. Right. And so, uh, you got to keep that in mind. And so, everything was going to be above board once this started happening, I think. And um, But uh, for Texas fans out there, that means that, you know, I, we could talk about who you have in each of the regions later for, for the state playoffs, Mike. But – to be fair, um, I, I agree with you. The timeline will probably be late November or late December for Kelvante Dixon because Carthage probably is not going anywhere soon in the playoffs other than forward. And I would add so. that I, I think it's possible he sends a, a letter of intent into Texas in December and then just announces afterwards, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So, so he plays the same position as Quay Davis, who's the 2021 young man out of uh, Skyline, right, that uh, decommitted from Texas? Right, yeah. Quay was probably looked at as a Z or an H. Okay, gotcha. A little bit different. So, 
what's going on with that? Because that, that was, if not the best commitment Texas had in the 2021 class, certainly one of the top two or three. What uh, What's happening there? Is he done with Texas altogether, or is he just reopening his uh, recruitment? You know, this was really kind of an odd turn of events for me. I think a lot of decommitments we could see coming, and I think if you ask me, Hey, is, do you think Quay, if you had to put money on it, do you think Quay stays committed the entire way through? I'd have probably said no, because he's already had one decommitment. And, um, you know, it's just, he's a kid that doesn't have a ton of guidance. And, Bobby, you know, in recruitments, when a kid doesn't have a ton of guidance, it allows opportunity for a lot of people to start giving input to him. And um, I think that's kind of what happened. But, it, you know, he committed to Texas when Rashad Samples was, was on staff here. Um, he's close with Rashad Samples, being a former Skyline receiver himself, um, and, and really a guy that he could relate to coming out of the same neighborhood as him. And even when Samples left SMU, you know, I mean, every time I saw Quay, I would talk to him and I would ask him. Like, you mean left for SMU, left for SMU. What did I say? Samples, you said left SMU. Yeah, left for SMU, sorry. Yeah, um, I yeah, I would talk to Quay and I would say, you know, like, is everything still good with Texas? Are you still? And the reason I asked that was because I did always get a sense that, you know, it, it, something could, could happen. And, um, you know, on late Sunday night, early Monday morning, started getting some, some indications that that was probably going to happen. Um, I think the Texas staff talked to his, his mother and, and a couple of his coaches. And uh, there weren't a lot of those people that were on board with him, you know, opening his recruitment. Um, but, you know, he, he, he opened things up and, you know, Quay's always been really good with me and, and really close with me. Uh, the, the, the time I knew we were pretty much in trouble was when he went dark on me. Um, because uh, you know, usually that's when those guys are plotting something, they'll go dark on the people they know the best who, who they know cover the team. And, um, I, he came to talk to me afterwards after he had made his announcement to decommit, and we we talked about some things. But um, I think Texas can get back in it. I think there's a lot of time, but I, I also think that, um, you know, Quay the, – the thing is, is when you commit early, you give up all the attention. Um, you no longer have the uh, everybody wanting to interview you. You no longer have a bunch of people coming out to see you play. Um, you know, you basically have the school that you're committed to. Those people come out to see you and talk to you. And so you get, you give those things up and – um, I don't know if it was exactly that for Quay or if he just felt he had made a decision too early, but uh, regardless, he had decided to open it up. I think it, it's a lot's going to depend on what happens next year. Um, you know, I think that SMU is a school that, that really made him think. And um, I, on our board, it's been a constant discussion point of what can SMU sell? And, well, you know, Bouchelle and, and James Prochet are going to be gone soon and all this stuff. But it, Bobby, you know as well as I do that, they don't have to sell. They don't have to worry about selling the kid on what's going to happen after Bruchel and Prochet. They can sell what they have right now, and they have the luxury that seventeen-year-olds don't have a ton of foresight, um, and, and they look at things that tend to look at things as they are right now. So, if you're SMU and you're playing an exciting brand of football and you're in the national spotlight and you're selling the city of Dallas and, and South Dallas in particular, I think that that appeals to kids from from Quay's neighborhood in Pleasant Grove. Um, I think that a school like LSU has been on him pretty heavy, and we've seen what they've been able to do. I mean, they're the hottest team in the country right now. Uh, schools like Alabama have also been after him. So he's got a lot of options. Um, 
but I think Texas can can stay in it with him. You know, I, even before he committed, Texas was uh, somewhat of a dream offer for him. I just uh, I need to figure out more and talk to him a little more and figure out what it was exactly that that sparked this. I I don't want to say this either, but but I don't want to say this in sound uh, trite. Uh, but SMU has more receivers in the NFL than Texas. So, <laughs> I know that sounds bad, but it's reality when the last seven to ten years, Texas has not been particularly good at quarterback and thereby, and therefore not very good at receiver as a byproduct of that. Um, and that that's thankfully most to some poor recruiting uh, by a former Texas staff's not, not indicative uh, of uh, the current staff for sure, but uh, something to, to think about too whenever a guy is looking at what he should do when you have Cortland Sutton, Sutton out there uh, playing like he is right now in the league too. So, um, Mike, I- anything else you think you want to touch on today that, that you feel like uh, is, is something that uh, needs to be discussed before I have one final question for you? Uh, nothing recruiting-wise. I think that um... – uh, you know, Texas had uh, they did host Jaquandis Burns, the outside linebacker from IMG Academy. I think everything went really well there. He's going to take an official visit to Ole Miss in December, where he's committed. Um, but I think as of right now, Texas is probably in that pole position. Um, you know, I, Ole Miss could always shut things down or the second time around, but you know, we'll see how that shakes out. Other than that, not a ton going on. It's really it's playoff time, my favorite time of year. So I'm I'm down to talk playoffs if you'd like to. Yeah, well, no, that's not where I'm going with this, actually. I, I guess we can ask that question, too. Last week was a big win for Texas, in my opinion. Um, instead of being 5-4 and four headed to Iowa State with absolutely no momentum whatsoever, and actually negative momentum, right? Um, did, did the win against Kansas State stem the tide? Uh, a little bit of what was looking like might be a little bit of a free fall from a recruiting perspective. Uh, I know Quay Davis decommitted, but you know that's still a year away. Um, did it did it help assuage any fears that Texas was going off the deep end, basically with any recruits? I th- or, or do you feel like that that is just no? I think a little dramatic on my part. It. it- I think it, it may have helped a little bit. I think especially if I'm Texas, I'm probably sending every clip we can find of Ke- of Keontae Ingram's performance in that game to be John Robinson and saying, see, we can run the ball when we when we stick to it. And you can be successful in this offense. So, um, I, yeah, I, you know, I think that it, it was kind of to the point where the core group in this class had decided that they were going to remain firm and try to keep the class together anyways. But, look, it doesn't – it doesn't hurt to stop the losing streak and show that you're capable and getting a win over a ranked team, regardless of whether you think, you know, they deserve to be ranked or not, um, is always big. And so I think that uh, they were put in a must-win situation. They have basically new life to their season. You know, if Oklahoma goes into uh, goes into Waco and takes care of business this week, Texas really kind of controls their own destiny as far as getting back to the Big 12 championship. You know, if you can win out, and 
Look, as bad as Texas has been at times this year, I don't think Oklahoma's playing great football right now. I think Texas has a chance if they if they meet up with them again in the Big 12 championship to to win that. And if you can do all that, you look back and really all the hand-wringing over losing three games, um, including two to top ten opponents, probably seems silly after the year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I also think that Texas has to they, – they control their own destiny, but it, it has to start – on Saturday in Ames or else there's no the destiny is the Liberty Bowl <laughs> yeah, absolutely I mean there's no there's no margin for error really right but I mean they're capable of winning all those games now they're also capable of losing the rest of their games um so you know it, it's 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 a very thin line they've got to walk but I think that maybe you know hopefully you get rejuvenated by that win over Kansas State and you you can see what you have in front of you and, and go take advantage of it yeah and I I really do think that I, I think that it was a good win against Kansas State, by the way. I mean, they were six and two coming off a, a victory over um a victory over OU, you know, and had decidedly beat the you know what out of Kansas. Yeah, and a victory before. where they manhandled OU, regardless of what the score right. was, you know. I mean they, they manhandled them in that game. It wasn't a fluke. Yeah, no, not at all. And so look, I, I think that I think we'll see um this week. Uh, what happens with Texas's secondary now getting some personnel back, even though they summarily lost Jalen Green on a cheap shot? I I, I think that uh, we'll see just exactly what that means, and if the talent level at Texas is starting to peak. Um, but I, I will say this, Mike, and I'm excited about watching this kid after watching him last week against uh, OU is the running back at the running back at. Iowa State is just – I really, really like this kid. They seem um, to find one every year. Uh, well, this one's a freshman. And I t- I'm going to give you two names that he reminds me of. Ronald Jones. Okay. And Jamal Charles. That's pretty high I praise. Think he, I, think, I think he's better than Ronald Jones, and I don't think he's quite Jamal Charles. That's how good I think that kid That's is. That's pretty high praise. So, yeah, so watch what I – I mean, he's got a first step that is electric. I mean, it is – now Texas may swarm him and hold him to fifty yards. I mean, don't I, I'm not saying that won't happen. It's just if you watched him against OU, you saw a guy that that ran faster than every OU defender and hit the hole faster and made moves and he's got a spin move that was just it was it was sweet. So, um, so Mike, I won't bug you with all of your predictions uh, for the Texas high school. Um, uh, playoffs, but I do want to know the top. Yeah, let's do six six A and five A uh, okay. classes one and two. You you want to do that? Yeah, and before I start, I just wanted a general comment on on really what the Texas high school football playoffs is. And it's, you know, every week I put together the schedules for commits. So I look at other states' playoff brackets. You know, Bobby, some states are like three weeks playoffs. Texas is six weeks. It is a big boy road to win a state championship. It is why to me, I don't want to hear about these one-off matchups between these national teams that come into Texas and play a high school team because it's never been about the top-level talent. It's always been about the depth and talent. And when you look at these regions, um, especially 6AD1, I mean, that is the land of giants. That is where the big boys play. Um if you put any of those national teams of modern day and IMG, whatever, and you throw them into uh, region three and have them play a schedule where in, in successive weeks they could play uh, Cypher, 
Katie, North Shore, and you know maybe like a, a, a Tascacita or somebody like that. That is where I think that it becomes so difficult to win in Texas high school football. It is a murderer's row, and it is a bloodbath just to get to the state championship game. Um, so that's just kind of my general uh, my general thought on on uh, on the the playoffs and what I love about them so much. And um, you know, I mentioned that Region Three and Six A D One is is nuts. So um, I've got North Shore. Uh, returning to state and to do it they're going to have to beat probably uh Perland dawson uh probably katie and probably cypher at some point um and those are three really tough teams to beat and then they're gonna have to beat probably i would say lake travis or conference jetson out of region four um in region one i have duncanville returning to state so uh my 6a d1 pick is for a uh, a rematch of last year's incredible state championship game between Duncanville and North Shore. Um, I just don't think Katie can beat North Shore two times in a season. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, and, and I think Duncanville is, is incredibly locked in to uh, revenge to her. So I've got Duncanville uh, winning that one. i tell you what. Here, here's what I would say to that. And I, I'm, I think you probably made the, the best pick. My caveat to this is if Katie does show up and play um, and beat North Shore, I think Katie is a better matchup defensively for um, for uh, for Duncanville from the standpoint of Gary Joseph will try to take out um, the quarterback run game effectively for Katie against someone like Jaquindon Jackson and make him throw. Doesn't mean he'll be able to, a hundred percent, but he he will find a way to slow it down somewhat. Um, Gary's a guy that uh, is a def- old defensive coordinator for some Katie High state championship teams, who slowed down guys like Vince Young in high school. Right. Um, so just keep that in mind. As it, so, in other words, if North Shore does make it out, I agree on Duncanville. If Katie somehow um, gets past North Shore. Then I would I would relook at that. All right, what about Division Two and Six A? And let me one more thing on D one. Um, if there's a team that I think could stop Duncanville in their region, I think it's South Lake Carroll, who I said earlier in the season is kind of back to what they used to be. They're playing with an insane tempo. They've got the most talent they've had in years. Um, I would watch out for for uh, South Lake Carroll in that region, and I don't think Allen. I think Allen will probably win Region Two, but I don't think they have the horses to beat Duncanville. Um, six A D two. Uh, this is a, a you know it, it's another rematch I've got picked from last year. Um, I think that this is Longview's state championship to lose after getting the monkey off their back and winning last year. Um, I've got Longview coming out of Region two, uh, defeating uh, Cedar Hill coming out of Region one to go to state, and then I've got um, Beaumont Westbrook coming out of Region three. Region 4 is where uh, Westlake is, and I think that they're probably the favorite to come out of Region 4, but I've actually got Westlake going down in a Week 1 upset to Cibola Steel, um, who I think is, is a really nasty team to have to play anytime. I think that they just have a good culture of, of, of playing tough. And so I've got, uh, I've got Steel pulling the upset there, and I've got San Antonio Brandeis coming out of that region. Um, and then I've got Longview defeating uh, Beaumont Westbrook in a rematch. 
that uh, <laughs> Haynes King, the quarterback, committed A and M at Longview. <coughs> he's had an up. He's had a little bit of an up and down season. Is that right? Yeah, but uh, more recently, it's been way up. Like he's kind of he's kind of steadied himself. That's great. All right, good for him. And their defense, uh, dad, their defense is a lot better than it was last year too. Oh, good. It's, his dad is the head coach there, by the way. For those that uh, didn't haven't followed uh, Haynes's career, five um, A Division One. Five A Division One. I think this is the year. You know, every year this seems like it's uh, it's Highland Parks to win or lose, and I think that Highland Parks shown some cracks this year. Um, Frisco Lone Star, for instance, beat them earlier in the year, and and Highland Park would have to get through Lone Star uh, again to get to state. Um, I think to me this is the year Denton Ryan puts it all together. They get past Highland Park, which has been a major hurdle for them for the last four years. Um, and Denton Ryan comes out of Region 1 easily, uh, defeats either Highland Park or Lone Star, possibly Lufkin coming out of Region 2. Um, Shadow Creek in Houston is everybody's favorite, the one everybody's talking about. And I've drawn some criticism for this on Twitter because I do love Shadow Creek. Um, but I really like New Caney coming out of Region 3. Saw them earlier in the year. They have an offense that is explosive. They have a de- one of the nastiest defenses I've seen this year. And I, they're my pick to be my biggest spoiler. Probably the biggest gamble I'm making in this, these brackets is New Caney uh, winning Region 3 and, and getting over Richmond Foster and Shadow Creek. And then San Antonio Wagner coming out of Region 4. Um, I think this is the year Ryan New Caney in the, in the state title game, and I think Ryan uh, takes it home. I got to tell you this. The fact that New Caney is 5A, it just blows my mind because I grew up in Houston, as you know. And when we went to New Caney, it was the sticks. I mean, it, it, it was uh, – I would say that it wasn't it, – it wasn't the suburbs. I mean, it was the country. And so the idea that uh, New Caney is now – by the way, the, who's the most famous New Caney uh, graduate, in your opinion, that you're, you're aware of? Mm, I don't know. Give me a hint. Played football at te- played football at Texas, but that wasn't his final sport. Um, so probably a baseball player, I would guess. Yeah, struck out a ton, but hit a ton of home runs. Uh, oh, uh, Adam Dunn. Yep, you got it. Yeah. Played quarterback in high school. Oh, that's right. And uh, played quarterback in high school, but uh, as a baseball player, this is how how crazy athletic some of these guys are um adam dunn led greater houston in stolen bases <laughs> oh wow <laughs> at at six foot four or five or whatever he was so uh that gives you a, a feeling um yeah right. you know actually so D- when, I, Ryan, when, I, when i went out to go see new caney bobby and i talked to Derek harris jr the texas commit he said yeah you know, everybody said, when I say I'm from New Caney, everybody says, where is that? So, you know, their goal is to, right now is trying to put New Caney on the map. So I Wait, still I mean, think I gotta, an unknown there. Yeah, they, 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 they are, but I'm telling you, that is, I mean, just for some, I'm 50 years old, Mike, just to date me. And when I tell you that, like, that, that is, that used to be so far out of Houston that, and now I guess it's considered a, a suburb. So, um, all right, so. Denton Ryan in 5A Division One, um, not uh, Shadow Creek or, or uh, any of those schools. All right, so 5A Division Two. 5A D2, um, this year in, year out, this is kind of Alito's 
they run the show. And until somebody tops Alito, it's hard to pick against them. Um, I've got Alito coming out of Region 2, defeating El Paso Parkland, who I've got coming out of Region 1. Um, and then uh, Region 3 is really fascinating to me. Uh, Manville kind of looks like they're back. Uh, Lamar Consolidated is a team that I think could get really frisky and make a run. Fort Ben Marshall has some of the best talent and speed with, with Malik Hornsby and Devonna Chain. Um, and A&M Consolidated is a team that I think just plays really disciplined, good football. I've actually got A&M Consolidated defeating uh, Fort Pitt Marshall and coming out of Region 3. Um, and then Region 4, uh, it kind of comes down to me between Port Lavaca, Calhoun, Corpus Christi, Cal Allen, and, and Brenham. I've got Calhoun coming out, um, Calhoun losing to A&M Consolidated uh, in the semifinals, and then Alito defeating A&M Consolidated in the state championship to win yet another state title. Oh, man, I have to show my Texas high school football knowledge a little bit here. Can you tell me the nickname of Port Lavaca Calhoun? The Sand Crabs, right? <laughs> it's one of my favorites, yes, absolutely. There's so many um, great all right. ones. Yeah, so many yeah great there ones. are, but that's a that's a personal favorite. All right, um, so that's 6A, 5A rundown. Do you want to just tell me who you have winning the state championship in the lower levels? It sounds like you've done a, uh, an exhaustive list here. I mean, where are you at on that? Yeah, I haven't. I don't really pick below 4A because my job doesn't okay. take me to see 3A and 2A much. So I don't have yep. a great knowledge of those schools. 4A, D1, I've got Carthage. Uh, again, Carthage gets the Alito treatment from me. It's hard to pick against Carthage. Um, yep. So I've got a, a great... Uh, a matchup there between La Vega and Carthage I think would be really good. And then in 4-8-D2, I really like Texarkana Pleasant Grove, um, a team that's been to state the last two years, won it once, and if not for an otherworldly performance by Jordan Whittington last year, uh, probably would have won it again. Um, I've got uh, Pleasant Grove beating West Orange Stark in 4-8-D2. All right, Mike, I, I appreciate your time, but I think this has been a, a good segment uh, and a good way to end it. Uh, so Thanks, everybody, to listening to the State of Recruiting. It's taped each and every Wednesday during football and recruiting season. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hook them. Hey, thank you, Mike. You did a good job. Uh, all right, later, man.